church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Been reading a book, been watching a movie, been falling asleep at the symphony, been bumming around New York City, feeling all alone on every crowded street, tired and incomplete, known to Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week as we conclude our three-part series on Redeemed Through the Waters of Creation. This is going to be a, a great episode, packed full of good stuff. We're going to be talking about how the old Yahshua, Joshua, led his twelve, his seven, his priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant and the very people of God through a miraculous crossing of the waters of the Jordan River into the Promised Land to conquer it, to take possession of it. We're going to be looking at how that is related to baptism and our Lord Jesus Christ in his encounter with a mysterious figure in the night, Nicodemus. Now, we've done a whole show on this topic before, and we dived very deep into uh, what was going on there in John's Gospel, chapter 3, but we're going to be touching on it again today, and I will reference the, the previous show we did, along with that intro song and the show notes of today's episode. That intro song is Jumpstart by Alexis Sosky from the 2010 Rockin' Romans album. It's a great song, isn't it? And you can find a link, as I said, on my website at www.catholichack.com. Another uh, great resource that I'm going to be sharing with you today is from the Crucified Rabbi, Judaism and the Origins of Catholic Christianity by Taylor Marshall. You'll find a link to that on the site as well. 
Now, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All praise and glory and honor be to you, Almighty God, as once again we come before you to soak up your word. We pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit to inspire us, to teach us, to guide us, as we hope to draw close to your heart, to soak this up, to share this with all the world, to bring home all your sons and daughters into this church, this body of Christ. We pray that we prepare our hearts this Lent to once again enter enter into the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that the Holy Spirit will assist us in renewing and living out our baptismal promise of rejecting Satan and all of the idols and the toils of man and flesh of this world to be born anew in the Spirit and to serve God by sharing this good news with the world. We pray for those who suffer and are persecuted. May God's love and peace and provision rest upon them. We pray for the conversion of sinners, unification of all believers into the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We pray for an end to abortion. And we pray for the birth of a culture of life. And we ask our Father, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So how must one enter into the kingdom of God? Through baptism, of course. It's simple, right? We're all familiar with the story, but let's refresh our memories by looking at St. John's Gospel, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, going down through verse 5. Quote, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How could a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unquote. Now, as I said at the top of the show, we, we, we previously talked about this in much greater detail, and I'll link to it at catholichack.com. Just look for the show notes of part three of being redeemed through the waters of creation. But look at the elements that are going on here. Let's go through some of these key elements, and then we're going to go back and and show the parallels, the illusions, the types found in the book of Joshua. Look at how Jesus comes to be baptized in the Jordan in John's Gospel. That's uh, found in chapter 1, verse 29. Notice how he is exalted before all that are there. We we can see that in, in chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, but... I want to take you now to St. Matthew's account. You can find it in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Quote, And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, and behold, 
the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Unquote. So you see here that the it's not the waters parting, it's the heavens parting. And the Spirit comes down like a dove. We talked last week about how Jonah's very name means dove, right? And Jonah was above the waters, the tumultuous waters there. And so here we see the, the Spirit hovering over the waters again, like in Genesis 1, like in with Adam, like with Noah, okay, on Mount Ararat, for example, and with Jonah. And now we here we see it with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Where did this happen? Well, we can see John's Gospel, chapter uh, 1, verse 28 says, This took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Unquote. Now, notice that this is the very same location that Joshua crosses the Jordan River. We're going to read about that in Joshua, chapter 3, verse 1. It's also the same place where Elijah also miraculously crossed through the waters of the Jordan to go to the other side, to be assumed into heaven in a fiery chariot, right? Think of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit by tongues of fire in Acts, okay? You can find that account of Elijah's crossing in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 8 and following. Now, Jesus enters the Jordan River, right? He enters into the water where John the baptizer baptizes him and sees that Holy Spirit coming down like a dove upon him and the, the voice of our Father proclaiming that this is his Son whom he loves and is well pleased, exalting this Yahshua, Jesus' name, Yahshua, this Yahshua in front of all there, right? And we see the same very familiar elements as we just said, the wind, the Spirit, like a dove, right over the waters but there's a parting like in uh, like in the the parting of the red sea for instance only this parting is not the water as we said it's the heavens so it's even more miraculous it's even more spectacular right so after this what happens immediately in chapter 1 verse 35 of John's gospel and following Jesus begins to call forth his 12 his 12 princes of the new Israel right and then they go in chapter 2 of John's Gospel to a wedding feast in Cana. And there the first sign is given through this miraculous changing of water into wine in these six stone water jars that were set aside for purification. Now, there are many things that are going on here that are very cool. For instance, you see that this sign corresponds to the very first sign Moses performed in Egypt to, to convince Pharaoh to let his firstborn son go and to worship, right? What did Moses do? But he turned the waters of the, of the Nile River into blood, right? And so we see a corresponding a, a sign here, an even greater one to some respects, where Jesus turns this water of purification, the tavila, the, the, where they would purify themselves in sort of a baptismal cleansing, a washing, which was not a physical washing of dirt, but a spiritual washing, preparing them, making them clean, ready to, to enter into communion with God. And so we see that in these six stone jars. 
Now, for instance, we can see also, if we looked at Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 through 22, it actually talks about this process of, of cleansing, of purification. I want to read this to you very quickly. Verses 12, uh, we'll just read verse 12 of Numbers 19. Quote, He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day, and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Now, uh, that's unquote, by the way. Now, notice, notice here that you have to do this both on the third day and the seventh day. If you looked at John's account of this wedding feast at Cana in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1, we notice that it says it took place on the third day. Very interesting. That at least fulfills part of the uh, Numbers 19, verse 12 requirement, third day and seventh day. However, if you follow the chronology in John's gospel, starting from the beginning, chapter one, you'll notice it starts talking about on the next day, on the next day. Well, if you start to add those, those up, you'll realize that in verse, or chapter two, verse one, on the third day, it came after we find an, on the next day, in chapter 1, verse 43, but that 143 on that next day was actually the fourth day in the chronology of next days. That was probably way more confusing than it needed to be. The bottom line here is you can see seven days in John's chronology of events here, culminating at the wedding feast of the Cana. Much like the creation account in Genesis 1 that culminates in a covenantal marital relationship between man and woman and God in creation, we see the recreation going on here in John's gospel. That in 2-1 becomes not only the third day, but it's the third day since the last day, which was the fourth day, making it the seventh day. So we see a purification going on on both the third day and seventh day in the wedding feast at Cana. Boy, I hope that wasn't too confusing because it kind of confused me. Anyway, I hope you get what I'm talking about. Now, what happens next? After the crossing of the Jordan by our Lord, Jesus Christ, who is baptized in this Jordan, right? He comes up out of the Jordan, enters into the land with his disciples, and then they go and they celebrate the Passover. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 13 and following. Now, Notice what happens next. Jesus goes into the temple and he notices all the, the money changers and all these vendors selling animals. And he, he fashions himself a cord and he cleanses this court and he, he casts them out, right? Now notice what gets cleansed. This court, this particular court was the court of the Gentiles. Now let me ask you a question. If the court of the Gentiles, the very place where the Gentiles were supposed to be able to come and enter into communion with the God of Israel, was filled with all this activity, this all this toil and and sort of uh, this this distraction from from worship, how are they supposed to actually pray and enter into communion? I mean, it's impossible. And so Jesus says, you know that. My house, my father's house should not be a den of merchants, right? And he cleanses it. But notice 
what gets cleansed. Now we compare this with St. Matthew's account in chapter 22, verses 15 through 22, that famous episode where he says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto God what is God's after they try to trick him. And he says, bring me a coin that you pay taxes with. And he says, whose image is on this coin? They say Caesar's. And Jesus says, give unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, but give unto God what is God. It's a play on words. It's like a double entendre thing going on here because it's the very image that's the focus. The image of the coin was Caesar, a man who wanted to be worshipped as God, right? And so this toil of fleshly worldliness gets discarded. But what gets kept? The precious image of God in man. I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to that when we get to the book of Joshua. Now, so after this, after this cleansing of his father's house, to allow for what? To allow God's other sons and daughters to come into his father's house, to enter into communion with God, and to worship the one true God. Right? Okay. So Jesus and his disciples then go into the land. Okay, we can see this in verse 22 of St. John's Gospel, chapter 3. Quote, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea. There he remained with them and baptized. It's a very interesting aspect. We're going to try to draw something out of it when we look at the next phase here, turning back now to the book of Joshua. So the question, how must the people of God enter into the promised land? Why through the water and spirit, of course. Now let's look at some of these parallels that are going on. Notice when we look at uh, Joshua, we're going to start around chapter 3, and we're going to go all the way towards chapter 7. And I really want you to go back and read from the beginning. You'll get a lot more out of this. We only have so much time, so we have to skip a lot of material. But notice the parallels and allusions as we compare what we just talked about, the the events of John's Gospel, chapters 1 through 3, and now Joshua's book, chapters 3 through 7, right? What happens? Well, we see Joshua leading the people to the Jordan, that very same spot that we talked about, that our Lord was baptized, and the very same spot that Elijah would cross over miraculously and be assumed into heaven in a fiery chariot, right? We can read about how Joshua led the people in Joshua 3.1. Now, the people are told to sanctify themselves, For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. There in chapter 3, verse 5 of the book of Joshua. Now, in this sanctifying themselves, they need to make themselves ritually clean. Again, we see here a reference to tavila, right? A baptismal washing, a spiritual cleansing, a preparing, okay? And so they had to make themselves, you know, sort of sacramentally clean, this is a, a liturgical action that's about to happen, okay? If on the surface you'd read the account of how the people crossed the Jordan and conquered Jericho, you're thinking this is a military action. But that's not how it plays out in Scripture. It's liturgical in nature, right? And so when we are at Mass and we, we hear this grand drama being proclaimed and prayed before us, and we are miraculously you're transported back in time to stand at the foot of Calvary as our Lord is offered up once and for all. They're conquering Calvary. It's liturgical in nature. So there's a 
there's a, a similar aspect going on here in the book of Joshua. Now, so they make themselves ritually clean. They prepare themselves for what they're about to do. They're about to cross the Jordan. They're about to go in and to conquer Jericho. Our Lord had promised them the land. He had made a promise with Abraham, and he was about to keep his end of the bargain, even though the people will grumble, murmur, and they will break this covenant over and over again. And Joshua even begs them to reconsider, you know, agreeing to the covenant because he knew that they just couldn't keep it. But I digress. Okay, so God the Father then promises to exalt Joshua before all the people on the third day in Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. Quote, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Unquote. <laughs> Here we have a Yahshua being exalted on the third day. Well, we saw a new Yahshua, Jesus, being exalted in front of all the people. But he will also be exalted on the third day when he rises out of the grave, right? So we see a, a type and an illusion there. Now, Joshua calls for the 12 princes from the tribes, verse 12 of Joshua chapter 3. And then Joshua enters the Jordan, just like our Lord entered the Jordan. So here we see Joshua entering into the Jordan, along with his priests who bear up the ark, Okay, And what happens when they step foot into the water? The waters part a lot like they do in, uh, for Moses in the, in the Red Sea. In fact, we see in Joshua's uh, account that it's exactly like it. So we can, even though the, there's no reference to wind, for instance, we can, I think in my case, assume or speculate that the miracle took place in the exact same fashion that a strong east wind blew and parted the, the, the waters of the Jordan. But let's look at verse 15 and 17. Quote, And when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. And while all Israel were passing over on dry ground, the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Unquote. So these priests bearing the Ark of God dipped their toes into the water, and miraculously the waters part, and the dry ground appears. And the twelve men, the, 12, the, uh, the princes of the people that Joshua picked, pick up twelve stones. And they're kept as a memorial of that fateful day when they would miraculously cross this, this Jordan River and enter into the promised land to take possession of it. These stones will speak on behalf of the people for all time, right? So Joshua is told to then circumcise the people. And immediately after they are told that, quote, God rolled away the reproach of Egypt in verse 9. Now, so we see a circumcision going on. Now, all the men who had been previously circumcised were perished in the wilderness. And so this new generation still needed to be circumcised. So our Lord commands it. And so Joshua does it. And then we see this, this interesting phrase, rolled away, that God rolled away the reproach of Egypt on that day. Again, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. Now let's fast forward to St. Paul, 
uh, writing in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, quote, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in, tra- in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Unquote. Notice the connection of entering into Christ's death, Romans chapter 6, and being raised with him from the empty tomb. Circumcision is a type of the perfection found in baptism right? That's the point of St. Paul's passage. But reflect on St. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 1, and how the stone was taken away on the third day, right? How powerful an image is that prefigured here in the book of Joshua. What happens next? Joshua leads the people in celebrating the Passover, just like our Lord coming up out of the waters of the Jordan and then goes into uh, the wedding feast at Cana. A purification happens, right? A baptismal a reference there in the six stone water jars. The first sign that our Lord performs, which is a collaboration of the sign Moses performed because Jesus is not only a new Yahshua, But he's also a new Moses, Deuteronomy 18, right? Okay, so they celebrate a Passover like our Lord and his disciples, Joshua and his disciples and his people also celebrate the Passover in verse 10 of Joshua chapter 3. And then we see, moving forward, a strange angel figure, right? Standing before Joshua with a sword ready to lead God's army into battle. In Joshua 5, 13 through 15, Joshua is told to remove his sandals for the ground he stands on is holy. Does that remind you of anyone? How about Moses and the angel that appeared to him in the burning bush of Exodus chapter 3? Again, Moses was told to remove his sandals for the very ground he stood upon was holy. Do you think that's a coincidence? I think not. I think Joshua is being confirmed as the new leader. Okay, the new tribal elder, the new uh, leader of the nation of Israel. He is the new Moses, and our Lord becomes the new Moses and the new Joshua in the new covenant. Then what? Then the seven are chosen in Joshua 6.4. These seven priests, Levite ministers, are called to lead the people by blowing the, the ram's horns with the priests who bear the ark, and they circle Jericho seven times on the seventh day. Every day they circle, right? But on the seventh day, they circle seven times. Notice what is given to God and what is discarded in the spoils that come out of the defeat of Jericho. You can see this in Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 24. Quote, But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring, and bring trouble upon it. Verse 24. And they burned the city with fire and all within it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Unquote. 
Here, I want you to think of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 17, and I want you to reflect on what we talked about in St. Matthew's Gospel with the image, that, that image of the coin of Caesar, and render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God, but the very image and likeness of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9-17, through 17, St. Paul gives us this beautiful image of the temple of God, and how you burn the, the sacrifice on the altar, there under the fire of wood, straw, and stubble, right? And then you move into the temple, and what do you find? But silver, gold, and precious stones. So the further into the temple, the closer you get to the Holy of Holies, the closer you get to God himself, it becomes the most precious. And so we see that we become, in this passage, we become God's new house. And we become his image and likeness. We are that precious thing given to God. And we, we, we give up all the toil and the idol worship of this world, the, the wood, the straw, the stubble, the coin to Caesar, and we give ourselves, made in the image and likeness of God, the most precious of all, back to God, right? Okay. Joshua, with his 12 princes, leading the people of God, goes into the promised land to take possession of it thereafter. So that rounds us up to Joshua chapter 7, rather. So how does one enter into the new promised land, heaven itself? Through the waters of baptism. And our Lord, the new Yahshua, the new Moses, leads us there with his twelve. And also, we see how there are seven deacons picked in Acts chapter 6 who work with those twelve right? Leading the new people, the new Israel of God, with the new Ark of the Covenant, Our Lady, into the new promised land through the new waters of baptism, right? There to conquer the land, to bring all of God's other sons and daughters back into the family of God. We have become a new kingdom of priests under the one true high priest, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise God and amen. I'll talk to you next time. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Based on digital.